Aren't you glad that you're a child of the King? Amen. Hallelujah. This morning, if you got your Bibles, I hope you do. I want you to turn with me to uh, Corinthians. Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11, yes. Several months ago, I shared in a message, and some of you probably remember it well, and it was on what to leave at the communion table. Well, this morning, I want to share with you about communion until he comes. Now, if you happen to be watching this morning, or you happen to follow this later online or listen, I want you to pause the message at this point in time and take some opportunity to go get some grape juice and some bread and have it by your side because I want you to partake of communion with us at the conclusion of this message. So this morning, I want to talk to you about that. I know that sounded a little weird just then, but I didn't know how else to time it. But I just thought it would be an awesome opportunity for those at home to be able to partake of communion with us uh, when, it, when that time comes. So why communion? Well, the Christ who died for us and rose again will come again. Matter of fact, that promise comes from Jesus in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 13, when he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am you may be also. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. So we see here that Jesus is talking about departing from his disciples. The disciples were obviously worried about death and what would happen afterwards. But Jesus' words still comfort us today. We know from his words to us that Jesus said he is the way to eternal life. Through the unseen. He's sure of us that if we can trust in his future, his future for us, and we trust in him and we believe in him, he will there as he promised to come and take us unto himself. Then we have the promise of the angels in Acts chapter 1 verse 11 in which he said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which was taken from you into heaven shall come again in like manner as you have seen him go. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me because I'm going to get to see that, I hope. That's considering I'm still on this side, standing up. But you know what? The promise doesn't just end with those that are left standing and gazing. That promise is also for those who have died. Because he said, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Can you imagine? In the twinkling of an eye, that little empty box will be empty. And you'll be gone. Hey, they could start a recycling program. 
You can recycle those graves, I guess. You know, if those rising Christ are, are gone, they can reuse them. They don't, we don't need them. Amen? Uh-oh. Got a little quiet on me here. And then there's the promise of the apostles and the prophets in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, where it's recorded, the hope of the resurrection. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning that which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even those others that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them which are asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that that which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So we're not left out. It's not over. We're all going to be apart. So we live in the light of his return. So what does all this have to do with communion? Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, and you've heard this many times. For I have received of the Lord that which I has also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, in the same night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner, he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat the bread and drink the cup, ye show the Lord's death until he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation unto himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would... Judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be commanded with the world, condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together under condemnation. And the rest I will set in order when I come. 
How powerful is that? When he says, I will set in order the rest when I come. It tells me it's not over. You see, Paul gives specific instructions about how the Lord's Supper should be observed. We should take the Lord's Supper thoughtfully because we are proclaiming that Christ died for our sins. We should take it worthily due to reverence and respect. We should examine ourselves for any unconfessed sin or resentful attitude. We are to properly prepare based on our belief and our love for Christ. We should be considerate of others, waiting until everyone there, and then eating in an orderly, unified manner. I love how we're given specific instructions on what to do. And we know that Christians are to meditate. We're to meditate upon Christ until he comes. Jesus instituted communion to commemorate his death. Through the centuries, Christians have kept this appointment. Now let me say something. There are a lot of people that only have communion once a month. In a way, that kind of saddens me. Because why do we have communion? I'm going I'm to get to the conclusion of that thought in just a second. But why do we continue to have communion? Well, well we do it to remember his death. To rededicate our lives to forgive one another, to obey regardless of the conditions. You see, look here for a second. When you think about this for a moment, what does communion mean to you? You see, communion is, is very specific. Communion is not something that we should only do once a month. Communion is supposed to be done when you remember him. When you think about him, I have communion several times a month. Not always with my family, not always with just you, but a lot of times I'll have communion by myself. Why? Because I'm thinking of the Lord. I'm knowing what he did. I, don't, I hate to do this when this is on, but can somebody turn the air off over there on that thing? I'm freezing. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's a button up on the there's a button up on the top somewhere, a plug somewhere, I don't know. But do something. I'm, I'm cold. And I'm never cold. I am never cold, but I'm freezing. Sorry about that, guys. I'm watching. Maybe we can edit it, I don't know. Thank you for doing that for me. I was gonna say, can I borrow somebody's jacket? There's one in my car. Could you go get it for me? <laughs> Whew. Has communion become only a faithless form? 
You see, each communion that we have, each communion experience that we have, we're expecting the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, church, communion is not about just taking a nibble, nibble of the bread and a little sip of the cup, but it's, but it's remembering all that Jesus has done for us. The message of the cross will endure until he comes. These are things that we need to dwell on. Times may change, but rest assured, God's word will never, ever change. It will always be the same. That's why we can stand upon his word. That's why when we read it, we can hold it dear to our hearts because it's not going to change. You're not going to get up one morning and all of a sudden you're going to open your Bible and there's going to be a bunch of different languages in there or a bunch of new words in there, you know, kind of like the dictionary. You know, the dictionary is ever growing. Matter of fact, I saw on the news last week that they added 27 new words to the dictionary. A lot of them are slang terms or terms that have been used over the years. And so they just add it. But in God's word, we're not going to add anything to that because it's very dangerous. Because when you read in Revelation, he talks about adding to and taking away from. Very dangerous when, when people start inserting words. That, that's what scares me about people who say, oh, there's a new Bible out. That makes me cringe. You see, I stick to the King James. Why? Because it doesn't change. You have the NIV, you have the new NIV, and now you have the new, new NIV because it's changed again. And then you have the American Standard or the American Living Standard Bible, whatever, but now they have a new American Standard Living Bible, so it's changed. But one thing you won't see changing in the King James Bible, it's the King James Bible, and it's, it's going to stay the same. It doesn't change. So, this, so people ask me a lot of times, well, why don't you, this one's much easier to read. Well, if you want to just fluff on your ear, okay, you need some fluff and stuff, then go ahead and read that if that's what your heart desires. But my heart desires God's word because it is God breathed. He didn't change anything from the beginning when he had them to put it into writing and he breathed it into the man who wrote this. He didn't change his mind. He didn't say, 50, 100, 10,000 years or whatever it's been. or oh, oh, I didn't mean to put that. So let me get with somebody and let me put in and so they can rewrite the Bible and change up things. God doesn't change. He's solid. His promises are forever and amen. He says, I've gone to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. So he's not going to take that back. He's not going to send you a letter in the mail and say, oh, by the way, um, I sold your property up here, so uh, you're not going to be able to come. It's not going to happen like that. You see, he says he's going to come back and he's going to take us to be with him. That's not going to change. That's why we're always looking up. That's why we're always expecting his soon return. 
The blood of Christ in the Old Testament sacrifice. Be, what did John say in John 1, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. No remissions of sin without the blood. Matter of fact, in Hebrews 9, 22, it says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission. You see, we have to understand there's things that money can't buy. And salvation just happens to be one of them. For as much as ye know that ye are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. From your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ as the Lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for you. Not with corruptible things. You see, you, you can't take things to heaven. Jesus doesn't want you to take anything from this earth and take it up there. Heaven is spotless. It saddens me, church. It saddens me a great deal when I, when I hear of people who try to convince me that Jesus loves everybody and everybody is going to heaven. I used to disagree with that. Now I want you to listen very closely. Because my, 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 it hasn't changed. But see, in a, in a sense of the word, everybody is going to heaven. Because see, that's where they're going to be judged. And there will be a quick departure for those who he doesn't know. They'll be cast into the lake of fire. You see, I used to think, wow, everybody is going to go to heaven. Wow. But then when you read about how long they'll be there, see, they're not going to enter in through the pearly gates into heaven, but they're going to be judged before that. And there's going to be a quick departure. And it saddens me to think the people that we love, the people that we know, because I know a lot of families, I know a lot of family members of my own family that when that day comes, if they don't do something quickly, he's going to say, depart from me. I know you not. Those have got to be the harshest words anybody can ever feel or know. You see, church, I know a lot of people who profess Jesus Christ as their Savior, went to church, loved the Lord, and now they have strayed away. They have allowed the allurements of the world to pull them away. And, and unfortunately, there's no such thing as once saved, always saved. You see, the Bible says even the very elect shall be deceived. 
when we begin to think about silver and gold and all these fine things that we have here on this earth is not even going to compare to what Christ is giving us in heaven. When we're just going to be able to be in his presence and singing his song. You see, in Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, It talks to us about, I want to read it to you. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. You see, many hesitate to witness about their faith in Christ. They don't feel like the change in their lives has been spectacular enough. But you qualify as a witness For Jesus because of what he has done for you. It's not about what you can do for others, but it's about what Jesus wants you to do for others. We're not here to make a name for ourselves. We're here to make a name for Jesus Christ. So many times in the world, we forget that. The cross outlives our critics when we think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18 when he said, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. When you think about communion, you begin to think about All the power that Christ has given us. The power of the cross will change our lives until he comes again. It says that in verse 26. The power of God unto salvation. Paul tells us in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Praise God for that. And John reminds us that in 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Communion will always be relevant. We need to remember Christ's death. We need to keep the cross and his coming in mind always. We can't allow the world to distract us from what Christ has ordained for us. These two give incentives and power for holy living. Remembering his death is more than taking elements. It's more than just remembering what we do here once a month in our church or maybe perhaps what you do every day in your home or every week in your home. 
It's celebrating His love. It's giving thanks for His grace. It's praising God for His sacrifice. It is rejoicing in salvation. Communion is for those who are born again. Communion is a time for making things right with God and one another. You see, so many times we don't think about that portion of Scripture. We don't think about how we're supposed to get things right with one another before we have communion. Many times we'll come, we'll have communion, and we'll think about that and we'll say, you know, sometime this week I got to get with so-and-so and apologize for offending them, or I got to get with so-and-so this week to, to make things right. You need to do that before you partake of communion. If you've done that, if you've offended somebody this week or if you've done something wrong this week, you know what? When we serve you this morning, your communion, don't partake of it. Go make things right. Then go back home. Take the cup with you and the bread with you and then take at home. Because it's important, church. It's important to follow the elements in the order in which God has told us. You see, a lot of times in the Christian life, we don't want to say we're wrong. We got too much pride, some of us, to say that we're wrong. Paul said that no one should take the Lord's Supper in an unworthily manner. He was speaking to the church members who were, who were participating without thinking about the meaning. We shouldn't take communion lightly. We shouldn't be doing it thoughtlessly. But we should be doing it reverently. And with full understanding to what it means. Not discerning the Lord's body means not understanding what the Lord's Supper means. And not distinguishing it from a normal meal. That's why he says if you're hungry, eat at home. Because this is not an ordinary meal. You see, this is, this is communion. This is coming together with the body of Christ. Remembering the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. So this morning, as we prepare to serve you, I'm going to ask Ed to come to serve you. And I want you just for a few moments while Randy plays and Ed is serving you, for all of you to hold still until everyone's been served. And you at home who are watching this morning or watching later today, whenever you watch this, Take this opportunity to get your elements ready, your bread and your grape juice. But take this opportunity to pray. Take this opportunity to pray and just ask the Holy Spirit, is everything right within me today?
in the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he said, take and eat this, my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You see, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we ready for communion? Are we ready? Because this, the, the sacrifice that was paid for the redemption of our sins, it's been paid. And when he said, take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. Father, this morning as we hold this element of bread in our hand, Father, as we remember what you have said in your word, Lord, we do so in remembrance of you. We remember, Father God, the, the price that was paid for each one. Your blood, your body. And Lord Jesus, as we partake today, we do so in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name. And then he took the cup. And he supped. After he took a drink of it. He said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink in remembrance of me. The New Testament. Church. That shed blood. That washed us from all sin. Put our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. Never to be remembered again. That's how precious that shed blood is. And he said, do so in remembrance of me. Father, we do remember that shed blood. We do thank you, Lord Jesus, for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, your stripes for our healing. But that blood that has purchased each one of us here this morning and those who are watching. Lord, I pray this morning that as we partake, we do so in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name.